Welcome back again to the Schiller and Hamilton podcast. I'm here yet again with David Bartholomew, hey, attorney, <laughs> an attorney with our office. He's uh, stationed out of the Buford office, um, but he handles a lot of uh, family law and criminal law for our firm. And uh, today I think we're going to be talking about just a very simple overview of the divorce process. Is that right, David? Yep. Cool. So <clears throat> let's just kind of go through the anatomy kind of say, or a very brief overview of the divorce process. Okay. Uh, we're not going to get into really, you know, the whole what to do if you want to leave your spouse, or that's a whole thing we could get into. But let's just kind of start about the actual legal process. So first thing would be the filing of a summons and complaint, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, now, what po- most people probably know is that there are grounds of divorce, but kind of go through like what's the grounds of divorce or what are people pleading? What are you going to be complaining of when you're filing for a divorce? Okay. So most people that call us, uh, they call – Wanting a divorce based on one year of continuous um, separation. Okay. Or no one, fault divorce. Yeah, no fault divert, okay. divorce. Okay. Uh, one year separate and apart. Okay. Uh, however, uh, we do get some calls uh, for adultery, mm-hmm. um, uh, desertion, physical cruelty, and habitual drunkenness. Okay. Uh, we don't really get that many calls for desertion, uh, but we do get some calls from time to time for physical cruelty, uh, habitual drunkenness, usually in play with that as well. Uh, but I think as far as a fault ground, adultery is probably the number one that we get phone calls for. Yeah. And I think desertion is just kind of a dead uh, grounds now. I think it's been overtaken by the one year no fault. Yeah. Um, because if I remember correctly from law school, I, that's literally the last time I think I talked about it. Uh, with law school was the fact that it is, uh, or maybe the bar prep. But um, I think you have to be deserted for more than a year anyway. So, um, okay. So, in order to, am I right to say that, you know, it's been a while since I've done family court. Um I'm right to say that you have to have those grounds established in order to file for them, correct? Correct. Okay. So how does someone go about filing for one year's continuous separation without having been already separated for a year? Well, uh, basically, you, you file a summons and complaint, but you're asking the court to establish the the guidelines or the ground rules for the next year. Okay. Um, and a lot of that's done at the temporary hearing. Okay. So when you make the when you file the summons and complaint, you can make the request for the temporary hearing. Okay. Um. At that temporary hearing, it's usually scheduled within four weeks of making the request. Okay. Uh, once you get in there, um, that's where you're establishing, like I said, the ground rules. You're, you're really looking at uh, if there's kids involved, you're establishing temporary custody uh, along with a visitation schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's spousal support required, there's, there's a temporary order on that as well. Um, and once again, it is temporary. All okay. right, but it is important. Um, I'm talking with you in the past. It's important to make sure that's where a lot of things play out. Is at the temporary hearing. Yeah, I, you know, I do know that you know because I like I said I did this for several years before shifting gears a little bit. Um, but it is temporary. It is generally what they call non-prejudicial, meaning that the the judge or the court could completely do a 180, and anything that they've ordered temporarily could be switched at trial or later on. You know. Um, and generally, that order is going to last up to a year, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, and then also, I think people probably would understand that it's also going to allow someone to have temporary possession of the property. Right. You know, who's yeah. going to get the car? Who's going to get the house? Who's going to pay for the car? Who's going to pay for the house? Um, but, you know, I think, like you said, I, in my opinion anyway, and I'm sure you're seeing this as well, it is about 90% of the battle. You know, establishing a status quo is so critical. Um, and I think that, you know, when you're going through that temporary hearing, you know, uh, setting the tone for how you're going to live the next year or so, or, you know, nine months, 10 months, however long it's going to be from your separation, um, is going to 
basically establish a, a new normal that you're going to now have to go up or down from at an eventual trial or mediation or whatever. Um, so let me just go back real quick. So the temporary hearing, like you said, is one of the first things that happens. Um, now, that temp- that hearing is held at court, correct? correct. Now, kind of explain the process. I mean, is it like a trial or is it kind of like a, a little bit different? It's... It's more of a bench trial. Okay. Um, you have the judge sitting up there, and essentially the parties are in there with the attorneys if they are if they are represented, um, and you're going through and establishing the facts of the case. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, there's no testimony? No. It's it's, um, it's all done via affidavit. Okay. Um, that's where you really get your – that's where you get all the information in. You, su- you support it. You're limited to the amount of information you can get, I believe it's 10 pages that you can turn in as the amount of affidavits that you're, you're limited to with a temporary. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, just so someone who's going through the process may understand like they may give their testimony in written form. Right. Yeah. Correct. But they're not going to get on a stand. Right. They're not going to be cross examined by another attorney and they're not going to have, you know, there's not usually too much mudslinging other than maybe what's written down. Um, okay. So at that temporary hearing, I'm assuming also the next kind of phase of that now Everybody knows what they're doing for the next period. But you still have to figure out what the final resolution is going to be. Um, So in that period of time, I'm sure there's going to be discovery. Just like any kind of civil case, we're going to have a fact-finding mission, basically, for both sides. So kind of go through, well, what are some things that you're looking for? Or what are some things going to be traded back and forth and how you go about getting those things? Well, some of the most important information is going to be the financial information. Because mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, that is the, the biggest point of contention for a lot of these divorces is the, the finances. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to be looking for stock statements, uh, bank accounts, uh, bank account information, um, and any debts. Mm-hmm. So not only is it what they have in the bank, but also what's owed. Yeah. Because that has to be divided up too. And then, I mean, people's retirement comes in. Oh, this, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. property they owned. I mean, I know that it's it, it can be a very simple process, and it can sometimes be a very difficult process depending on, you know, what people own, if they're hiding things, businesses involved, you know, things like that. Um, now, in some cases, you also are going to have, like, written interrogatory questions. And, you know, I'm not sure if people understand what that is, but, you know, it's written discovery questions that have to be answered under oath. Okay. Just for a definition. Um so there's some other things that we you're also going to be seeking information to prove your grounds of divorce, I would assume, right? Yeah, if, if yeah. you're filing under default grounds, yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially for adultery, you, you may be requesting text messages or um, phone records, anything that can go to establish and prove um, the, the grounds for adultery or, or for instance, phys- physical cruelty, mm-hmm. police reports. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a big one right there. You're going to be going, you know, was there any hospital records? Were there any... Um, sheriff departments or anything involved, police departments involved. So you're going to be trying to seek that information out. To try to prove those grounds, exactly, because they do have to be proved by clear and convincing evidence. So, okay, so that's kind of that first process. Now, you've gone through the filing of a summons and complaint. You've had your temporary hearing. You know, you're living your life in this new normal. You've exchanged information. Now, um, is the next step trial, or, you know, what's the next step after that? Well, the next step is to try to negotiate. Okay. Um, you're going to try to negotiate a, a complete separation of property and settle, settlement agreement. Okay. So you're trying to reach an agreement that's satisfactory to both parties, but mainly to your client. Yeah, so, of, course, of course. Obviously. We're obviously going to be, yeah. you know, advocating for yeah. our client. But, yeah. uh, but it is a court of equity. Okay. So you do want to try to make it a fair agreement so that the, the judge will sign off on it. 
um, and they're going to analyze the financial information that you provide through a financial declaration to the court. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so in that that next phase, though, you're going to try to get an agreement in place. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, you'll you'll send a, a proposal over. It gets negotiated. Um, certain things get taken out. Obviously, you know, so it's a give and take aspect of it. But you're trying to work it out. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things, so if there's kids involved, is trying to get a fair custody agreement put in place. Yeah. Which is, this is all too often, you know, something that's a sticking point during a divorce and settlement, yeah. unfortunately, you know, um, is that the children are kind of pulled in between uh, two parents. But um, now, if you can't work it out just between the attorneys or between the parties, South Carolina is a mandatory mediation state, correct? Absolutely. Okay. So kind of explain what that means. Like, well, briefly explain what mediation is. Somebody may be listening that, you know, has never been to mediation, but, and then about the whole mandatory part. So it is mandatory. I believe it's a three-hour minimum that you're required to go. Um, and what you do is you you hire a third-party mediator. Okay. Um, these people are, are licensed to be mediators in the state. You hire them. They're not cheap, all right? But you hire them, and they're good at what they do. They can bring new ideas to the table that maybe the attorneys hadn't thought about. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're able to push certain issues. Maybe even your own client doesn't want to do something. They're able to, to kind of get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, they can... They can be very helpful in getting things settled. Mm-hmm. But regardless, you don't have to agree to anything, though, at the mediation. Of course. But, but you do have to do it. Yeah. You know, and the the whole reason for the mandatory, and I actually was practicing before it was mandatory statewide, um, and, you know, it was kind of in tester areas and everything, but it really has cut down significantly on the amount of trials that happen in family court. I mean, trials now are extremely rare. Um, contested hearings are not. But actual trials are, are kind of rare. Um, and that mandatory piece really does, you know, resolve probably, I don't know the statistics, I would imagine 90, 95% of cases probably, you know, get resolved by mediation, if not before. Um, now, let's say you go to the mediation and you resolve the case. Let's, let's kind of, we're going to like fork now two different ways. Let's say you go to mediation or you have a separation agreement that is uh, negotiated between the parties. Um, that now, I'm assuming, or I do know, but it has to be uh, approved by a court, right? Correct. So, you know, what are the court looking at, you know, when they're approving that? Well, you make the request for the final hearing. Okay. Um, and when you go, you present that agreement and they go through and they, they want to make sure that each party entered into it voluntarily. Okay. That they've had a chance to familiarize themselves with the financial uh, financial statements of each party. Um, that they weren't coerced, that they weren't drunk, that they weren't high. Yeah. You know, they want to make sure that they were of sound mind when they entered into this agreement and that there aren't any issues because okay. the court doesn't want to approve an agreement that the parties don't agree to. Exactly. And, 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 you know, like you said, I mean, there is some coercion. You know, there is duress. And and, and we're not talking about the stress of going through a divorce. Um, we're talking about, you know, hypothetical gun to your head type thing, you know, of coercion but and duress. Um, and then so once it's approved by a judge, it is then a order. A final right. order. Uh, subject um, subject to the content powers of the court. Okay. Um, yeah, and that is pretty critical because, you know, we do get a lot of cases or we did, we have gotten cases before where um, you have people breaching the order, you know, and, and I know that's one thing a judge asks you, do you know what's in this order? Do you think you can comply with it? Yep. And knowing the fact that you could be thrown in jail for up to a year, you know, are you willing to comply with it? Or, or um, what is it, three, was it 300 300- uh, community service hours, hours yeah. community service, yeah. and there's also a uh, a fine, fifteen hundred dollars, fifteen hundred dollars fine, um, plus attorney's fees if you do get ruled yeah. back into court. But we won't get too much into rules right now. But um, so that's obviously the process if you can settle the case. 
I mean, I think the easy answer to the next question would be is, you know, if you don't settle, what happens? You're going to trial. You're going to go to trial. Now, is that trial basically like what people may see on TV? Similar. There, there is testimony in that one. Um, and at that point, you're, you're laying it out there. There's the rules of evidence apply. Um, you're presenting the, the evidence, any, any, any information, cross-examine, everything that you would expect in a trial is there. Mm-hmm. Minus a jury. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 my, yeah, minus the jury. <laughs> you know, uh, like you like you did say earlier, I mean, what people may not know, bench trial is just, you know, a trial that is presided over by a judge, okay? So in family court, it is still just one judge. There's no jury, you know, there's no panel of judges. It's still one judge. Um, but like you said, you have witnesses, you have statements, you have cross-examination of witnesses, you have evidence procedures, everything like that. So, okay, once everything is done like that, I do kind of want to just kind of go back real quick. I think we kind of glossed over it. Now, if someone has not been separated for a year and they've get, gotten to that final stage, whether by agreement or by trial, does that resolve the issues of their marriage? Now, you're, you're talking about if they're if they filed under a no-fault basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if they've if they filed under a no-fault basis and they've been able to reach an agreement, correct? still have to wait however many more months it is until they reach that year mark before they can go in front of a judge to get a final decree for divorce. But they've basically, they've resolved all the issues. Right. Say, like you said, property, debt, child custody, child visitation, child support, alimony even possibly. That can all be settled, finalized, close the book, but you're just not legally divorced. Right. You are still technically married. Until that year. Yep. So you got to be careful. Yes. You, you are still technically married during that period until there is a final decree for divorce. And I've, I've had that question. I know when I was practicing family law, and I'm sure you already have uh, too. Yep. Uh, but, yes, you are still legally married. You're still subject to possible adultery and possibly a future ad- divorce based upon the adultery. So I know that was kind of a brief overview. Um, but, you know, we wanted to just kind of give a, a very just toe in the water, you know, for you coming on and also just for everyone listening because we're kind of moving into a new practice area here for the podcast. Um, but is there anything you kind of want to just tell me a little bit about yourself and your family law practice? What makes you different in family law uh, practice of other attorneys and things like that? And, you know, if someone needs to call you. Well, I, I think one of the big things that sets us apart is one, we're not we're not charging we're everybody nickel and diming. We're not nickel and diming people. Mm-hmm. We're, we're trying to maintain open lines of communication. Mm-hmm. We're trying to keep costs down for the client. There, there obviously is a cost associated with it, but we're not trying to break the bank here to get this done. Yeah. So we want to help people. We want to get the job done for them. We want them to be happy about it, but we also don't want them to go broke in the process. Yeah. And family court is not a cheap area of the law to practice in or, or to, to get involved in. That's just very true. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, and there's no, there's no public defenders nope. for divorce. There's no right to counsel really. I mean, there's, there's obviously indigent services and things like that, but you know, but just like anything else, you do need counsel. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do love that when you've come on, you have you kind of prided yourself to just like all of our practice areas, you know, and, and our firm, term, firm culture as a whole is we are serving people too. Um, and I think, you know, your way of doing that is to, like you said, we're not going to nickel and dime, you know. And I, and I love the fact that you've done that. I remember you telling me that when you first came on that, you know, I think, what what is it, you waive a certain number of hours of communication type thing? Yeah, like, uh, each, yeah. each month, um, depending on the needs of the client, we, we try to get a – uh, waive certain hours of communication, uh, depending on the complexity of the case. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, it's usually wave an hour or two hours of yeah. communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, that at the end of the day, that saves you know a few hundred dollars every month. Oh yeah, that's um, what people don't understand. Is so you know 
Billable hours are building six-minute increments. Yeah. So even just checking a voicemail, if you're charging $200 an hour, you know, that's $20. Right. Check a voicemail, $20. Answer an email, $20 to $40 maybe even. You know, an hour phone conversation, which I'm sure you have seen, I have had, happens almost weekly, maybe even daily, an hour-long conversation yep. with a family law client that right there, 250 to $350, depending on your hourly fee for a phone call. So I, I do love that, and I commend you, you know, for stepping right into the firm culture here at Schiller & Hamilton to say, you know what, we're going to be here, but we also have your back, and we want to make sure that you're going to have the – what everyone else needs, you know, has the right to have, which is an attorney that is open to you and available. So well, you, you need open lines of communication. Exactly. You know, you're, you're hiring me to help you. Yeah. The so. last thing we want is someone to say, I really need to tell David something, but I don't really want to have to pay right. him right now for that. So um, I commend you on that. Again, welcome to the firm Thank again. Um, I know you've been here a while, but, you know, welcome. And I'm glad that you're stepping into this role and I can wish you the best of luck with family law. Like I said, I have been there and I'm sure this will be the first of many times that you and I sit down today or not today, but you know, in the next few years to talk about family law. So again, welcome and thanks everyone for listening. I know this was a brief one, uh, but I really appreciate everyone listening and watching the Schiller and Hamilton podcast. If you need any issue or have any questions about a family law matter, please give our guy David a call. He'll be glad to talk to you um, and hopefully we can help you out. Thanks. Thanks.